0: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. On this episode, our guest is going to be Kyle Liebarger. Kyle is a conservationist from Alabama who has a focus on keeping native plants on the landscape. As we talk about in this podcast, we believe it's important to talk about ways that we can be better conservationists as hunters. Kyle has a bunch of cool projects going on, and by keeping native plants on the landscape, he's creating more diversity and ultimately creating a lot more habitat for all wildlife. If you check the description of this podcast, you can find Kyle's website. He also makes a bunch of short form educational videos on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, but as it says on his website, they practice what they preach by providing services such as property consultations, native plantings, wildlife management plans, forestry consulting, and prescribed burning. The whole goal of this podcast is just to Get the conversation going about what we can do as hunters to improve the landscape for future generations. Before we get into the podcast, I wanted to let you guys know that we've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild is a free social media community where not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So visit downloadgowild.com to get started. So as you guys probably know, at THP, we all shoot bear archery, and if you guys want to save 10% off of all bear equipment, you can use the code THP10. I know right now pretty popular time to be looking into new bows so if you're in the market for a new bow check out beararchery.com they've got tons of bow options that will fit into anyone's price range so like i said if you're in the market for a new bow check out beararchery.com all right guys let's get kyle on the line and start talking habitat management what's going on how's it going man
1: oh going good who who's the was the friend that you have that uh recommended me was it it's my lane of legacy guys
0: no it's a i thought it might have been them i know i know y'all been together the past few months yeah my so my friend ben is my buddy who's really into like wildlife management and forest management specifically um he's -hmm. he's a forester in ohio so okay throughout i don't know my whole life he's been teaching me stuff about you know plants and you know the same stuff you're talking about but he's becoming more and more interested in it he's worked for the state um like throughout an internships and stuff now he's almost 10 years so um Mm -hmm. and i think he's at some point wanting to do kind of his own thing but anyway he's interested in exactly the type of stuff you're talking about all the time and he was like hey man like yeah. like literally yesterday an hour before I sent the message he was like hey you should look up this guy and see if see if he wants to do a podcast i was like yeah that sounds great to me so yeah awesome
1: yeah yeah right, so so i guess he's he's got a forestry background too
0: yeah he he um is a state forester in ohio and he goes and like his his job is to go um talk with private land mostly pr- talk with private landowners consult them yeah. it's like a free service and yeah
1: that's sort of my job as well so which i'm not i'm not with a state i'm a private forester but i'm dealing with private landowners uh, you know on a daily basis pretty much so um that's a it's a good way to learn plants too because you're on yeah. a bunch of different properties and you come across a lot of different stuff so
0: yeah another good way is to be out hunting all the time it's yeah cool way of doing it too <laughs> yeah yeah
1: that, that's that's an even better way right there so yeah all the people i deal with always have like an uncle or cousin who's hunting their place so
0: mm-hmm.
1: everybody's like you got to be coming across a lot of places to hunt and i'm like nope it seems like everybody's got an uncle or a cousin or somebody you know from church they're already letting <laughs> hunt it so it's a it it i don't i don't come across those that often it's like one in one every 500 seems like so
0: yeah yeah, I could imagine. I mean, it's it's pretty uh, competitive these days to find places yeah. to hunt in general. But tell me a little bit about more about like what you do. I mean, I've been on your Insta- Instagram page and your YouTube channel as well. Um, the last day, just kind of watching stuff, trying to you know find some things that interest you and yeah. stuff like that. So tell tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so, uh, well, now I'm just uh, making a, a lot of educational content about native plants, and, and uh, you know, I, I've been a forester for uh, the past three or four years, a private forester. I went to forestry school at uh, Alabama A&M, and uh, I was working for the State Fish and Wildlife for about three years while I was in school. And uh, when I graduated forestry school, I kind of I realized how uh, little I still knew about, you know, plants and plant identification and stuff. And I was coming across stuff every single day that I had no idea what it was. And so that kind of piqued my interest. And then I guess it was, it was April of 2021. So a little over a year ago, I started posting just videos every day about native plants and, and grasslands. I, I manage a lot of grassland remnants, uh, because when I was through my interest in native plants, I guess I was coming across a lot of different, uh, the different places that ended up having pretty rare plant communities. So I started managing those places with prescribed fire and getting rid of invasives and stuff like that, just to protect the really rare plants that were there. And, uh, and these were on private properties and roadsides. And so I was sharing a lot of that on video and this is through TikTok mostly. So TikTok kind of blew up. And then uh, in the past six months, I've kind of switched a lot of that over to, instagram and facebook as well so uh just make educational videos about native plants every day and and kind of uh get people excited about what's just growing wild around us because i mean you go to garden centers and it's 99 percent things from europe and asia i mean just zero appreciation for you know what we have growing wild around us and we have some you know incredible diversity in north america and some really cool plants and some attractive plants for landscaping and Really beneficial plants for wildlife, and um, you know that's a, what, that's probably my biggest passion. That got me into it was managing for wildlife, and and uh, the best way to manage for native wildlife is native plants. So mm-hmm. uh, that sort of became my passion in a way, and so that's basically what I what I cover in most of my videos and stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. I would say, like for me, my passion is hunting first, but then mm-hmm. um, you know obviously my friend ben like i said having similar interests to what you you've explained and then um there was this one class i took specifically in college it was called americans and their forests and there was this i I think i've probably talked about it on this podcast before but there was this professor like he would dress up like uh like a old old school like forester and he'd come into class with an axe Mm -hmm. and like right away i'm like dude this guy's this guy's real serious (laughs) about this stuff. And what I learned in that class really changed my perspective completely. Um, I learned a lot about like fire, learned a lot about native species, learned a lot about um, how forests were managed in the past. Some of the things that we used to do that we don't do anymore. um, Some of the things that maybe we might've messed up. And that's real entry level knowledge too. Mm -hmm you know, what you do and what my friend Ben does, but it kind of sparked that interest for me as well. And I'm always just curious to learn more about like what we can do, you know, on like a individual scale or, you know, to continue to spread the word of how can we manage our forests and the land that we have, because, you know, let's be honest, they're not making more land. And it's like, if, no. we, if we do the wrong things, as far as management goes, I think um, you know, we can do more harm than good just based off of, um, a lack of education on the matter. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and, and,
0: it, it's, it's
1: weird how it's all like, it's all connected, um, you know, hunting and, you know, our native, native plants and native plant communities and how our forests are managed and fire. And it's just like all intertwined and it's, and people think you know when you when i talk about native plants and you know tr- trying to protect uh, native plant communities it's it they see it from like an environmental side and it's kind of they think hippies but like you know hunters have more at stake than anybody when it comes to losing uh, a lot of this na- native plant diversity in our in our ecosystem so when when those start declining our biodiversity starts declining it 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 directly affects our, uh, our game species and therefore affects us and, and future generations. And so we have more at stake than anybody. And so that's, that's been one of my passions from early on was getting hunters interested in, in managing native ecosystems and, and paying attention to more than just your, you know, white oaks and persimmons and, and uh, you know, food plots, you know, pay attention to what's growing out there naturally because those native plants, they're going to be beneficial for insects. They're going to be beneficial for songbirds and rodents. And and whether you believe it or not, that's going to be that's going to benefit your game species as well. So it's a uh, it's it led me to uh, to I, we started a Facebook group too, native habitat managers, and and it's me and several other hunters who are who are like-minded and 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 love native ecosystems and native plants. And and that was our goal with that page, just kind of connect hunters and then botanists and foresters and a lot of people who knew a lot about native plants and you know you you think about those two groups and uh you know a lot of the native plant enthusiasts like landscapers and gardeners are just total opposites of hunters Mm -hmm. um but somehow the group's been able to work and uh you know if as long as people people stay on the right track and talk about native plants and you know hey what can i plant to benefit this species Uh, people stay on the right track and their arguments haven't been too bad, but it seems like everybody's getting along and we're, we're kind of all on the same side, whether we believe it or not.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's really cool. I think that you got to band together in that situation. You know, it's, it's not worth arguing about it because it's like, we're all trying to ultimately have the same, we all ultimately have the same goals. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's going to benefit us all. So,
0: yeah and I think that one thing that I see you know really often is and you kind of touched on it maybe is like with hunters specifically I feel like there's just a lack of education on maybe the right way to manage I guess or like Mm -hmm. you know there's just so many there's such a focus on well just slap a food plot on it and you're going to get more animals and it's like well, maybe you're going to see more animals. Maybe they're going to show up in this area that you can watch them, but is that actually better for the, you know, overall ecosystem? Mm -hmm. And I think that it's just something that, like, we failed as hunters to actually communicate the education on, you know, what is the right thing to do. So what what are some of the things that you see, you know, hunters doing that are kind of the, the red flags of like, Ooh, this is something that we're doing that maybe we could change just, just very simply by making small adjustments.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, man, I I could talk about that forever, but I think one of the, (laughs) one of the the biggest ones is, you know, we're trying to manage, you know, specific, specifically deer. Like we're trying to manage them like their cattle. Like we give them green grass and we think that's, you know, they're good to go. Um, and, and it's so much more like cows, as long as cows have something to eat, they're happy. You know, they can eat grass and, and be fine. But deer need way more than just a food source. They need, they need cover. They need bedding. They need, they need fawning habitat. They need food sources at different times of the year. Um, and it's so much more complex. Their diet is so much more complex and, and you can't replicate what's, what, mother nature's been doing for tens of thousands of years you can't replicate that with a food plot mix you find at the store and and you know i i, I usually don't start off with that take because that's a hot take there and uh and you know I, I i i was super i was i was really into food plots about five or six years ago i mean uh may, maybe even an expert on food plots and and the, and the more i dug into it And the more I started figuring out, hey, you know, we're doing this wrong, we're doing as hunters, we're doing this wrong as hunters, it kind of, you know, made me more suspect on, on different parts of the hunting industry and what, you know, we, what's been, you know, kind of thrown in our face over the years. And so it kind of, I kind of took a step back and I was like, what, you know, what do these animals really need? What have they been doing for, for thousands of years? Um, And it's, and deer, know they're not real picky they're generalists i mean it's not like they're quail like Mm -hmm. you know you have those specialist species that really need specific types of habitat deer aren't, aren't that picky so you can you can manage your property for with native plants and have just like a really good deer habitat fairly easily and and even without food plots and uh i guess uh i tell this story a lot but um when i when i was starting out uh you know doing, i I was fresh out of college this is probably about 20 2016 i uh, i had a spot that was real rocky and and uh just poor is the only open spot on 40 acres it was about an acre and a half probably and i tried to turn half of it into a food plot you know trying to build the soil up trying to you know turn the rocky spot into really good soil so i could have a food plot out there so i I went in there and I sprayed it with Roundup, which, which I use Roundup probably more than the average person on invasives. But I was just spraying it everywhere. I didn't know I didn't know what I was spraying, and I killed that area off, tried to turn it into a food plot, and uh, and and come to find out, uh, after trying to make that field bigger by cutting down cedars, the next summer what was under those cedars was like all sorts of native wildflowers. And that, and I was like, what in the world are these? It was like rattlesnake master and blazing stars and gray headed coneflowers and, and a bunch of different milkweed species. And, and I was like, what I could like, I could tell even as like uh, somebody who didn't know their native wildflowers. I was like, this place is like pretty incredible. And so I sent some pictures to a botanist friend of mine and he was like, man, I've got to see this place. So I brought him up there and he was, he was like, this is a limestone barren." There was like five or six county records, never plants that have never been seen in my County before. There were state, uh, state listed plants that were extremely rare. There was, there's species of plants there that this was the biggest population of those in the state of Alabama. Um, you know, there was, this is had the northernmost population of Durand Oak, um, which in, in the state of Alabama, which is really cool. And, uh, and, I, and I, the year prior, I was in there with glyphosate spraying it all, trying to turn it into a food plot because I, I had watched a YouTube video on, you know, how to turn <laughs> rocky soil into a good food plot. And man, that, that was probably the worst thing I could have done to the place, but it was the best thing that could have happened to me because that really, really piqued my interest. And I was like, dang, like what was here before was way better for wildlife. Deer could use it, but also so many other species could use it as well and and you know that kind of opened my eyes to not managing just for one species managing an ecosystem instead Mm -hmm. of managing for one species and and i think man for the long run um as hunters i think that's what we're going to have to do is manage ecosystems and not manage for one species we got to look at it take a take a broader look at it and and uh and focus on other things as well and not just not just deer, but, um, that was, that was kind of the turn of point that, uh, uh, flipped the switch in my head and made me, made me change the way I was doing things. But
0: yeah, I think it's, I think it's really cool. Like I, I would say there was a series of events that kind of led me to realizing like, man, maybe food plots are just kind of bogus, you know? I mean, obviously they, they create an easy hunting opportunity, I think. And I yeah. think on the, on the surface that's I mean, that's the yeah. attraction, right? It's like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to plant this food plot and or even, like, leave a standing bean field. And it's like, well, heck yeah, it's going to be a lot easier to kill deer because, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, they're all just yeah. going to concentrate in those areas. But I felt like over time hunting different areas on public land, traveling all over the place, it's like very consistently when you find these areas that have just a whole lot of diversity and specifically... Like the very best areas for deer are seem to be like um, if you can find a grassland area yeah. or a little bit of like wetland area mixed in. If you got mm-hmm. grasses, wetland, and like clo- timber somewhat close by, it's like lights out. And we, we have this. I don't know if you're familiar with our videos at all, but we yeah back in the day we hunted this area a lot called that we called the Buck Nest, and mm-hmm. it's what we nicknamed this specific was just an old field is all it is and back in the day i mean you can look back on old aerial photos it was a field at one point well it hadn't been a field for you know uh, let's say 10 years 15 years maybe probably 10 and just the amount of diversity in that field and bucks loved it there was water there there was timber next you know like right next door and the deer loved it the big bucks were in there thick and you know, you go no matter where you go across the country. It seems like if you've got that diversity, versus just a solid t- tim- timber stand or you know just a bunch of ag land. Um, yeah. It seems like you know the, the number of not only deer but also all wildlife, rabbits, yeah. turkeys, birds, whatever. It's just the list goes on and on. And yeah. you know, when I was when I was younger here's another side story i guess not to go off too much on a tangent but my grandpa has two 80 acre blocks and when i was a kid the 180 acres was all old pasture and it had he had put that into the crp program mm-hmm. and i want to say when i was probably just finishing up high school 2010 2011 that went out of the crp program and he started um, paying a farmer to put crops on it again and it went from being like the greatest place that i've ever deer hunted like to this day to being not so good and here we've got all this food all the food on the property it's like well Mm -hmm. there's nowhere for these deer to live they don't have any they have no cover and the timber stand is really it's all old timber so it's super open understory so it went from like great habitat and a very unique patch to just like complete trash like you barely see deer on it if the and if you do it's after dark
1: yeah that i'll that's exactly what i was going to say is that can happen also uh when a place changes from like a grassland like you know thicket area over to a forest you can i mean it's like the place you you killed a ton of deer growing up now it's just like a barren wasteland because it's all shaded out Mm -hmm. and uh i've seen some good examples of that this past week but back in 2000 and i don't know it was like 2015 2016 while i was in college man i was just like i was racking up on some sheds in north alabama on public lands and that was just like unheard of and everybody (laughs) was just like asking me how in the world like i was finding some like just huge 140s 150s and people were were, either their like minds were blown because i'd find like 25 sheds in a season which was people in North Alabama have gone like their whole life without finding sheds on public land. And, and so like, everybody's like asking me how I did it. And, uh, I was, that's, I was going, I was putting on my briar chaps. I had some Dan's briar chaps and I was just going into the woods and I'd find the thickest spots, you know, the power lines, the the place, there were just a lot of grasses and thick and just grown up. And I was just, just literally just bushwhacking through briars. And I'd find like a little opening in a big briar patch and there'd be a bed right there and there'd be two sheds laying there. And, and, and that's how I was finding them. And if I'd find one shed in one spot, I'd, you know, I'd go find a thick spot over here and, and, you know, bust through there for an hour and, and find the other side in that. And that's when I was like, man, there's something to this, man. but um, that's, everybody else is out there looking, they're, they're walking through the easy stuff and the <laughs> wide open hardwoods and, and not finding anything. And you, you'll find one every now and then. But um, those, those thickets and those thick spots, I mean, that's uh, that's where that's where the sheds are because they got everything they need. They got cover. They got food, um, and they don't have to go far. They got it all right there. So um, that's that's why I'm a huge. I'm a. i am talk so much about grasslands, and I'm a forester, and people are like, "That's so backwards," you know. But grasslands are so productive for wildlife, and mm-hmm. I think I think that's going to be the you know the next wave in conservation is. I mean, we got to manage for diversity grasslands fire i mean you can manage for deer turkey quail you can have everything rabbits and songbirds and insects and it's just like man you can manage for an ecosystem with a grassland and you can i mean you can do that with a forest as well but where i live in north alabama it was historically grassland so that's Mm -hmm. what i try to manage for a lot around here and uh to me you don't have to sit around you know you know that saying you know the man wise is a man who plants a tree that he'll never bask under its shade. Well, with grasslands, you don't have to do that. You you'll be able to enjoy grassland with your kids and your grandkids, and and it only takes several years to restore those places. It's not going to take a lifetime, and it's and it's enjoyable. You get to see quick results um, burning them. Uh, you can see then as soon as spring comes, just life coming back, and 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 that's what I've done on a lot of these remnants and just down the road from my house there's an area it's just a solid field of blue stem and on the edge of the road there's a really rare wildflower that was you see it a lot in the Midwest states Texas and Oklahoma and Kansas and up north Um, but east of the Mississippi it's not really common because it's a it's like a prairie species and so this is like a tiny population of it and I started burning this spot and I ran a fall fire through it and the next spring and summer I Counted seventy-five species of wildflowers returned. It was a monoculture of blue stem. You know, same thing can happen in a grassland that happens in a forest. It can get shaded out and so thick mm-hmm. that nothing else can grow. So, running that fire through there, getting rid of that blue stem, uh, opened up that seed bank over winter for those seeds to germinate. And come spring, all those seeds were able to start growing and turned into wildflowers. And and man, this is the second year. I've burned it, and this spring, it's just crazy to see all the diversity that's come back, and, and there's quail back. Uh, the neighbor saw a covey of quail on it, um, and it's just, it's incredible to see the results just from managing it right and using fire and
0: stuff like that. Yeah, that's cool. I got a question for you, and maybe it's a hard one to answer, but I'm sure as you're doing this stuff, you get people that, like, I'm just trying to think of, like, uh, the person that would be the most stubborn, where it's like, oh man, you're saying all this stuff. Why would I care about native species when I can just plant this food plot and it's gonna? I'm gonna be able to accomplish my goals easier. What do you tell somebody that's got that mentality where it's like they own? I don't know. Let's just say for the sake of saying forty acres, they got a one acre food plot on it every year, and that's that's how they're they're you know managing it is just slapping that food plot on the landscape every time, and they say, hey, that I'm reaching my goals now and I wasn't before. What's what? What do you say to that? individual
1: Uh, if 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 you got 40 acres and you're only and you know most of the time especially around here it's their only open spot it's a huge waste i feel like using that spot as a food plot when you can use it you can use it as cover you can use it as fawning habitat turkey nesting quail habitat uh, deer cover browse and you don't have to plant it every year you're not spending money you don't have to fertilize it Uh, the plants are perennial most of them are coming back every single year they're maturing at different rates so you got you got things that flower from the spring you got things that flower all the way into like early winter and so things are maturing at different times attracting insects at different times of the year which are food sources for turkey and quail at different times of the year uh those plants mature at different times so they're you know palatable to deer at different times um and it's just the way, I mean, it's the way it's supposed to be. It's the way ecosystem is supposed to function. Um, and we can try to mimic it as much as we want. Um, there's always, we're always going to go back to the fact, I mean, we can't, you can't replicate nature and what it does. And, and I think that that's, that's what being a conservationist is. I feel like, um, just sitting back and understanding the, the land and how everything works and functions. It just, it, it makes sense to me. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, that's something that a person's going to have to figure out on their own, and and they're going to have to see for themselves. And my my suggestion is always get get iNaturalist. These days, you can use the iNaturalist app and go out and just anything that's in flower. You know, you can take you can take pictures of any plants you want. But I I go I just started by anything that was flowering. I took a picture of it because it's easier to identify when it's in flower. And I just started making a list of what's on my property. And I just kept track every track every year of what you know, if something new came up or if I saw something I've never seen before and and I I feel like that gives you that's just another way for you to start enjoying your property, appreciating what's there and it's something that you can do outside of hunting season. And I think that's the best way to just really get people interested in it. And then they'll they'll learn they'll learn everything I just said for themselves. Um, it'll all make sense. I mean, those seeds of those wildflowers, I didn't even cover that. The seeds that those plants produce are being consumed by, by, uh, you know, quail and songbirds and Turkey and rodents. And, you know, those rodents are going to be a food source for predators. So the predators aren't just, you know, hammering your turkeys and quail or fawns. I mean, it's all, it's all a network and the, and, the more the more of each of those other animals that are non-game species you have the less likelihood that predators are going to be you know consuming your uh your, the game species you're trying to manage for so um it's just i don't know it's to me we we learned a lot of this in, in uh, ecology and i think in school but a lot of people forget it i think and mm-hmm. sometimes it's just got to step back and and uh try to remember it all and 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 see it for yourself, and uh, that comes with just being outdoors and and uh, and, and observing things. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that maybe that uh, answered your question or convinced yeah. them.
0: Yeah. No, I I think that being honest with ourselves, as far as you know, what is what is the true meaning of conservationist? You know, is it like? Yeah. Is it creating four wheeler trails and putting up a feeder? Or, yeah. you know, is it trying to promote native species and, you know, diversity yeah. across the landscape that, you know, is more natural, I suppose. It's yeah. just, it's just crazy how I feel like the norms, especially with hunters. And I, and I really don't, it's not, that's really not to put fault on anybody. No, I, I, I'm no. not, I'm not pointing fingers saying, Hey, you're wrong. It's not no. that. It's just that like we've created it ourselves, you know, we've yeah. created yeah. the norm to say, hey, this is okay. You know, let's just, yeah. and, and like we've been on the hot topic, me and my friend Ben and his brother Keith, we've been on the topic. We've been, this past week we were turkey hunting together and um, killed a turkey and checked his crop and it was full of corn. Mm-hmm. There are no cornfields around there. Solid timber. So somebody on the private – well, I'm assuming the private land is just running a feeder all spring. And it's just like yeah. – I mean, we talk about predators all the time. And it's like, well, I mean, given a predator an easy target is when turkeys are pretty patternable under a feeder every day. You know, it's like yeah. – and it's just like somebody out there is doing that. And it's just yeah. – again, There's it's not no- – it's not the pointing fingers as much as it's just like, how did we let that become okay? You know, why are we not talking? Why aren't we having this conversation to say, hey, maybe instead of doing this, we could do this. And I think that's, that's my biggest, um, I guess, interest in it is just getting that conversation going to make people really question like, because I mean I'm guilty of it too. Like when I was a kid on my grandpa's, it was like, yeah, let's do food plots, you know? Like how can yeah. we get it? How can we get it better mm-hmm. for hunting? And like I look back on it now, it's like, well, it was way better when we didn't do anything and we just had it in CRP, you know? And it was yeah. like way more diverse then. So yep.
1: yeah, it's just, yep. and it's easier. I mean, you're not having to spend as much time and money, and 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 uh, and you just get to enjoy your property more then. But uh, that's a uh, yeah. When you talk about hunters, I mean, we're talking when i say hunters i'm talking about my my dad and my granddad and my great-granddad i mean i you know everybody in my family hunts and so it's it's not i'm not pointing fingers at hunters it's just it seems like the past past couple decades we've just been targeted so hard with uh i mean everybody's trying to trying to make money i guess in some way and and so everybody's got the next best thing and uh and let me tell you like the next best thing is 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 always going to be um, native ecosystems and and just talking about turkey crops. Um, we opened up some this year and, and sedges. I mean, sedges, tons of sedge seeds in those turkey crops. I mean, almost 100. Like, it, it seems like every turkey crop I've seen has sedge seeds in it. And who's talking about sedges and turkeys? I mean, like nobody. No. And and when it's when it makes up a lot of their crops. I mean, seems like it's pretty important, but. Yeah. It's not talked about, like nobody's talking about sedges, but there's literally the carex is like one of the largest, uh, I guess, what is, oh gosh, here's my botany skills, um, I guess <laughs> groups of plants, spe- species, families, whatever genus. It's like the largest, they're a really, really big one and they're hard to learn all of them, but there's just hundreds and hundreds of sedge plants that can grow in wetlands, uplands, really, really dry spots, really rocky spots all you know all the way to like sh- straight up growing in water i mean there's sedges for every situation and when they're producing seeds they flower early re- really early in the year but they're producing seeds that can be consumed by turkeys like that seems like a i mean heck let's let's market that to hunters and sell it because i mean yeah. that's 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 a a win-win there i mean you can get sedges for literally any situation but uh that's uh that's the kind of thing i think gets overlooked but uh I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, just a weird time. I guess we're in, in, in the, uh, in the hunting industry. And I think we're, I, I feel like we're on that. We're about to switch. I feel like, I, I, feel... I think I see a lot of people going towards conservation now. And, uh, and it's, it, that's only going to happen, you know, by people continuing to talk about it and, uh, and, and, Trying to get people interested in things that they aren't normally interested in, like wildflowers. I mean, I can't tell you how many of my friends who've just been, I mean, hardcore hunters their entire lives—they're—they're they're now sending me pictures of flowers, and I'm like, man, what what's going on with with these hunters now? I mean, freaking hippies, dude. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> half, half, half their camera roll is full of flowers, and they're posting. Pictures of flowers on Facebook instead of uh, instead of bucks, you know, a big buck. All right. And uh, and and it's I don't know. I I'm, I'm hoping there's kind of a, a change there, but um, I'll probably go to the extreme, just focusing on flowers. But I feel like, you know a lot of those flowers and native grasses I mean that's what makes up those grassland ecosystems and so
0: Well, I also uh, think it I think it translates to a non-hunter well too right so it's like yeah. if I were to go to my mom a non-hunter and say hey yep. you know you're you've got they've they've recently moved but they lived in Ohio and they had this big yard and there was a big part of the yard that was literally just along the dang driveway it was not even it was not even, like, you know, connected to the house. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah. My entire life, man, we'd mow that son of a gun, and it was it sucked. It was no fun. Finally, like, as we were in, me and my brother were in college, and we started learning a little bit more about, you know, what we've been talking about in the native species yeah. and, you know, getting rid of lawns and how, you know, essentially bad lawns are for ecosystems. We started saying, hey, you know, why don't you guys, like, try to do something different with that and when you mm-hmm. when you take like I said that non-hunter and you say hey you could make this into a wildflower garden yeah. you say that and it's like oh perks my interest a little bit more than you yeah. know yeah just let it grow up and let it look like crap you know it's like well if you actually you know ha- have that as kind of the the hook I feel like yeah. it, it's easier to talk to people about it and say hey you could have this like pretty little area yeah. in your yard still and it not just look yeah. like you know some overgrown old pasture and i think that kind of hooks people a little bit more and my friend ben yeah. like i had used him as an example earlier same thing his parents had this big yard and him and his brothers have convinced them to make it into a wildflower patch and it's awesome it looks sweet in the summer it's like you've know, mm-hmm. got all these different colors and all the different you know species that are growing out there it's just awesome you know more birds or you know small mammals stuff like that and I just think that impacts like that are, you know, even that that goes beyond hunters as well. And I think yeah. that actually, maybe maybe this is something you want to touch on. But I noticed you have no mow May. I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I think let's talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess that's a big movement these days, and and some people are going to extreme. You know, no mow May, June, and July too. But um, my wife told me I had to mow mine at the beginning of June, so. um support we'll we'll see we'll see what happens there but those those wildflower uh plantings it's easy sell to your wife too if you're a hunter you can manage more of your property for wildlife and it's easy sell to the wife but um yeah so that's basically just you know my yard in particular like it's never like it's i guess it used it's not so much anymore but it used to be a rural area and so like they just built a house there and there was like never sod laid down or or you know, it wasn't ever manicured. It wasn't banished as a manicured lawn, and uh, so there's a lot of like wild species still out there. Now I still have like some, you know, your, there's probably fescue and and uh, bahia and and uh, Dallas grass and Bermuda and centipede grass. There's like probably there's still mixed some of that out there, which I'm probably I'm probably about to treat with some grass selective herbicide and spots, but there's still like there's a lot of blue eyed grass and spring beauties and um, bleuets, uh lyre leaf sage. Uh, it's just like there's a lot of native plant diversity still there, but those are you know those are unfortunately those are the species that can handle mowing. Uh, a lot of the species that probably had been there, they were probably there you know 50, 60 years ago, they're gone because they can't handle a lot of those can't handle repetitive mowing, but mm-hmm. fortunately those species could, so they're still there. So the goal of no mow may is kind of like let those flowers go to bloom and and do their job for pollinators, which then in turn does benefit songbirds and other, uh, you know, animals, little lizards and frogs and things like that. Um, but they'll also go to seed then. Once, uh, once they're able to flower, then they're able to go to seed. And so, then you're going to have more. Those seeds are going to be able to, uh, you know, reach the soil and hopefully germinate next year. And you'll have more of those wildflowers. And uh, those turf grasses, they don't necessarily need to do that because they can be mowed and just spread by rhizomes and spread throughout your yard. And that's how they're able to outcompete a lot of our native species. Um, you know, most of our wildflowers and native grasses don't spread that way uh they have to be able to spread by going to seed and we unfortunately don't ever let them go to seed so that's kind of i guess the goal of no mow may now um there there's probably some downsides to it i'm sure there's somebody out there with some really bad invasive in their yard and they're not mowing now so that that is a little worrisome but you got to know what that goes back to knowing what what you have and uh learning learning what's in your yard and and making sure you're letting the good things go to seed and spread and not the bad stuff but That's a, I guess, a little bit on that.
0: Yeah, I've always been, since I, since I took that class, Americans in their forest and for Americans in their forests, and I also had a couple other classes that I had. There was, you know, sections that were a little bit more focused on like yards specifically and the downsides to lawns. And ever since then, like the last thing that I ever think looks cool is your big lawn. You know, it's like, and it's, it really is amazing. You hit these rural areas. And I mean, how many times have you been driving down the road? I, I, I know I've seen it in North Alabama, you know, you look over off the road and, way up on the knoll there's a house and from the house all the way down and back up to the road it's just this pristine yard with lines going through it's like not cool not cool to me you know they're they're
1: proud of it they're probably proud of it too yeah and it's (laughs) It's like
0: uh, that that mentality it it it, it's not sustainable
1: i know that no it's it's just uh, it's
0: bad bad news and it 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 really just it's discouraging when you see it and then you know, I've never talked to somebody outside of hunting or, um, I guess somebody that's interested in specifically like plants and I guess it doesn't have to be a hunter, but just somebody that's interested in plants in general. I've never talked to somebody that understands that, that perspective. It's really hard to explain that where it's like, Hey, you know, your lawn is really not good. For anything other than human aesthetic right it's like yeah. <laughs> it's not good <laughs> yeah yeah and
1: it, it, to me it's like weird because i mean especially in the south we're proud of like we're proud of our state we're we're proud of our hometowns we're proud of you know being in america but we're not proud of the plants that exist here like mm-hmm. you know you, you can't be proud of your your state and your and your country and then you know, replace everything where you live with non native things from other countries, Asia and Europe. I mean, it's like, it's just so backwards and yeah. nobody talks about it. And it's, and it's just like people just turn a blind eye to it. Um, and I don't know. That's what I, Jake, he's, uh, he's, he just started working with me and he's helping me with all, with, uh, on our podcast. But he just, uh, he just told me the other day, he was like, you're probably going to be unrelatable if you, if you go and spray and kill your yard grasses and just try to go to like all wildflowers and sedges. And I'm like, well, you know, at this point I don't care. It's what I'm known for, I guess, yeah. but I'm, I'm seriously contemplating. I'm probably going to spray my yard with some clethodum this year to try to kill off the grasses. Cause every grass in my yard is going to be a non-native. I don't have any native grasses out there. Um, it's all turf grass. So if I kill those back, that'll allow the sedges to come through, which there's a lot of sedges out there. And, and and kind of dominate which i'll be all right with those will stay shorter and then it'll allow those wildflowers to thrive as well so then it'll be more of like a wildflower and sedge lawn and and my backyard is already like that and this year man there's just hordes of goldfinches back there just feeding on seed heads and it's it's so cool to watch your backyard like actually be alive and like Mm -hmm. part of an ecosystem Mm -hmm. and uh i don't know it's like it's that same feeling you get when you're sitting in a tree stand watching all the birds and things flying around. Yeah, I can like, I can sit there and eat my breakfast and look out the back window and see the same thing every day. Like, what? As a hunter, your favorite thing to do. Like, to me, it's all about being out there in the woods, like in a place that is still what it's supposed to be. Why would you not want that when you're stepping out your front door every morning? Like your landscape and your front yard. Why would you not want that same feeling there? Um, and to me it's it's so much more enjoyable now to sit like on my front porch and and just have all this native landscaping around and and know that everything growing there I've I I've gone to I'm probably more extreme than most people a lot of what's growing in my front flower bed are things that I've collected seeds from within a couple miles of my house I've seen a wildflower and I'll go collect the seeds from it and then grow some plants at my house and then plant them in my flower bed so it's all just like extremely local ecotype that's just within a couple miles of my house just that i'm using as landscaping now and i think there's a there's a lot of satisfaction in that And you don't have to go that extreme but to me that's just makes it a little more fun
0: yeah i mean you don't have to go that extreme but it also i mean what's it hurt and if you become interested in in it or are interested in it and yeah um, i know
1: i know I know several generations from now, like my kids aren't going to be on a podcast talking, like, man, I wish my granddad didn't go down the road and plant some wildflowers that are from the place that he planted them. <laughs> yeah. Dad, I mean, it's, I know there's nobody's ever going to be mad at me about
0: that. So, yeah, um, versus versus now when we're like, yeah, when they reclaimed all this, they planted, they straight up planted invasive species in it. You know, like that on the other yeah. hand, it's like yeah. we, we hunt areas in, in the East, like, uh, Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania where it's like old coal ground that is straight up just planted in, a, in an invasive species. It's like yeah. you know, sit there and complain about something. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know?
1: It's like you're walking through a, another country. Or it is.
0: It really is. You there's areas that I've hunted in in Ohio specifically that are like this doesn't even look like the US. I mean, these plants yeah. are just they're just wild looking. I mean, they're not they're not supposed to be here. The entire woods, too. It's it's pretty yeah. rough. It's, And I guess that's one of those things that kind of made me become more and more interested yeah. in it. But one thing I was going to – go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Oh, oh that's what – like as a private forester, being on private properties, I saw a lot of that, a lot of invasives taking over. You know, if somebody would have – they'd be out in a really rural part of the state they'd had Nandina bushes in their yard while their woods are now full of them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was that kind of thing that like really opened my eyes early on too. It's like, man, these invasives are really, they really are a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's going to be a real problem for future generations. And, and I'd rather us learn our lessons now than, you know, continue down this road and just cause even more problems. Cause we don't know what the next invasive is going to be. What, you know, we've you don't know it's invasive until it's too late it yeah, seems until like yeah so it's taken over if you're planting things that are from the area you're living i mean you're you're not going to be making any mistakes there so yeah
0: yeah i was i was going to take the yard thing a little bit further it's like um i live in colorado where they water their lawn you do talk about a whole new level of like ridiculous is like spending money to put water on your lawn so it looks yeah. good it's like you kidding me? And then, and then you go past, like, uh, a house that has, you know, trees and grasses. And, you know, I've seen even there's this house, one house specifically that I've walked past a couple of times. It has, like, a sign saying this yard is, like, managed to... Um, Uh, be you know wildlife habitat and birds and blah 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 and Mm -hmm. has this big sign on the the tree outside of the the fence and i'm like man that's like that person gets it that's really cool and like my aunt lives just right down the road and she does a lot of cool stuff where she doesn't have a lawn she plants stuff Mm -hmm. in the backyard she has bees and i think you know she's not a hunter you know she just likes that type of stuff and i think that you know again the more those conversations kind of can go outside of hunting as well it starts with I think it can definitely start with us you know as our responsibility as conservationists to have that mentality but then to share it with other people and you know when it comes to a yard I always think of it as like this it's like I'm not saying you realistically um, can just take your whole yard and you know, up and just take all the grass off of it. But be honest with yourself too. It's like, what can I do differently? You know, can I take a little percentage of or or a little or a big or whatever, a percentage of it and change it? And I think that just goes, it goes a long way. It'll make people question what you're doing, (laughs) but that might be a good thing. You know, it might get the conversation going. Well, (laughs) Well, think about this. I mean,
1: if hunters start doing that, if we take that stance towards conservation, think of how much we'll move up in the eyes of the public. I mean, and, and we need as much of that as possible. Absolutely. And so if we're out there, you know, doing real conservation work, even in our homes and our landscaping, um, you know, people are, people are going to, can change their opinions of us and, and, and what hunting really is. And, and we can, I think we can use a lot of that. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, no offense, but they're certainly not going to be like, Oh man, these, people are real conservationists when they're blasting deer off of a corn feeder, you know, (laughs) it's like, that doesn't really look good. I I mean, it doesn't. And I know that it's like, well, that's my right is a mentality. And I, I don't disagree that it's your right to go hunting, but it's also like, you know, it is our responsibility to, you know, do, do, and, and and again, educate ourselves and have that con- con- uh, conversation. So yeah, and, and set
1: up future generations to yes. be able to still be able to hunt. Um, mm-hmm. And so we got to think about that as well, and and not just, you know, in the moment right now, uh, how big of a deer can we kill? I mean, we got to make sure we're you know we got good publicity for future generations to still be able to still be able to do this. But yeah,
0: I think um, I think about it all the time. Is like. Somewhere along the lines, it was like uh, the, the future, or the, the past generation. It's like they started to see, I think they probably got a little bit older. They started to kind of be like, well, how can I do this easier? You know, I'll incorporate my four-wheeler into it. I'll incorporate my, you know, bell nut, clearing out this area where I can see more. And it like, it got kind of dumbed down because... Probably that generation just got older and they physically couldn't get around as much. But then that was adopted by our generation where I'm in my late 20s and it's like, man, I'm looking around me. And there's a lot of people in their late 20s that are doing exactly that instead of like, you know, trying to just understand, you know, gain that woodsmanship skill that is important to becoming a hunter, which then ultimately leads to interest in conservation.
1: Yeah. Let me me ask you this. you think you know being a hunter as you know you go through the stages of being a hunter do you think you you gradually get pulled towards uh more of that you know uh i guess conservation that's more like environmental and and and, you know native plants and things like that i feel like that's what happened with me but do you see that i mean
0: I don't I don't think that that's necessarily happening right now. I feel like yeah. I I feel like I feel that way yeah, but I, but that but like, I don't necessarily feel why, that it's across like yeah,
1: not most people. Why do you think you why do you think you personally like what what do you think?
0: I think the reason that you personally um, the number one the number one reason is I would say the past experiences that I've talked about is like what perked the interest, right? Like, seeing deer and seeing better hunting areas that have more diversity, yeah. right? It's like, that was the first thing where it's like, well, okay, these areas are just better. The other reason is, um, I would say, just, uh, go ahead, go ahead.
1: I'd, I'd agree with that, like, seeing different places, that's that's when it really switched in my head, when I, like, I, I started going on a lot of different properties, seeing different places, I think that really like opened my mind up to totally totally
0: what, and you can look at the you can look at another area and say like "Ooh, i did not like hunting there because it was just all the same like yeah. i've hunted actually in alabama i've hunted some areas that like i'm like ugh, like t- t- rough like nothing but planted pines you know and it's yeah. like not a whole lot of good going on there. Nope. One of my least favorite nope. places that I've ever turkey hunted was just no, about nothing but planted pines. It was rough. Yeah. but um, Even
1: tree monocultures can be
0: a mm-hmm. huge problem. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, even in uh, Ohio where I'd love to hunt, I would say that, like, most of that area is run out by invasive or just too much of the same open timber you know it's like yeah yeah, and and in a in a hunting video it is beautiful to watch turkey walk through the open hardwoods walking past big you know giant oak hickory forest it it looks pretty but when that's the only thing on the landscape that's not necessarily you know ideal and then on the flip side i've been in areas um Actually, then on the other hand, one of the craziest cool areas that I've ever been, it was also in Alabama where I'm hunting these different stands of timber where it's like this stand has got like, you know, a bunch of grassland growing in the understory with longleaf pine. You know, oh, this, yeah. this one's been burnt, fresh burnt. This was burnt five years ago and it's all like sectioned out and it's like unbelievably diverse mm-hmm. Finding sheds, yeah. seeing deer, calling in turkeys left and right, and it's like, okay, this this area's got it, this area doesn't, and it's yeah. To me, that's that's what kind of um, helped me get, you know, interested in it. And I'm lucky too to have several buddies. I mean, my friend Ben, my friend Larry, both those guys. Um, Larry actually has a um, business that he started. I met him in college and he started his own business, Native Native Land, Landscapes of Ohio. <laughs> like that's really? his, that's his, yeah, that's his um, business. And he, wow. he started just by um, going to landowners in like the Columbus area and the suburbs of Columbus and saying, hey, you know, you've got this huge lawn. Here's some things that you could do to make it more of a native landscape And then you're not going to have to mow as much. And like one of his first clients ever was this older couple. The guy was like in his eighties and was still mowing, you know, every week mowing however many acres of this gigantic lawn. He's like, you know, you don't have to do that. You could save money by doing this. You're going to, you know, create more wildlife opportunities. And they were like, Oh yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. And, you know, he's become great friends with them and, you know, still works on their property to this day. And, um, I think that well, also helped me a lot, you know.
1: Yeah, well, that, that's the that's the exact type of person we're looking to have on our podcast. So we we may have to get up with him because that that I know nothing about Ohio. So that's the I'm I'm trying to try to talk to folks who are from different states as yeah. well because people oh. get people probably get tired of hearing about how awesome Alabama is. So. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, <laughs> I mean him and <clears throat> him and yeah, and uh, like I said, him and my friend Ben are two guys that are just I mean. They, they admit that they're nerds about it. I mean, like I said, Ben was the guy that was like, hey, you got to get Kyle yeah. on and have him talk. Yeah. And they actually do a lot of burns and stuff as well. Um, awesome. And that was one of the things that I was going to just pick your brain on a little bit. I mean, would you say in your area this idea of, like, burning the landscape is a positive or a negative thing? Because where I grew up in Ohio – never saw it never saw it never heard of it yeah. I'm not saying it didn't happen because maybe it did and I just never noticed but like my grandpa did it when he um was younger I know he did some burns but yeah you know I never saw anybody doing I never heard anybody talking about that from like a management perspective and then when I took that class with the guy that would come in with the axe that's when I mm-hmm. learned like you know how fire can be beneficial
1: yeah so what, what I'm seeing around here is you know looking at a lot of forest in my area, I'm talking just like right around my house, a lot of these mountainsides and and valleys out here, there's still like black charcoal logs. And I
0: just watched a a video of you talking about this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Those, those landowners, like, you know, they've been there for 30 or 40 years and they haven't seen a fire go through there since. And so some of those folks remember, they just burn off the mountains whenever, uh, like every spring they just like, Light up a, light up the mountain and burn it from one creek to the other, and uh, and I'm sure well this area in particular, when it was settled, uh, there were still you know Cherokee there and they helped build some of the original log homes out in that area, and so I'm sure that was still just a tradition that they just kept on from from the Native Americans and and so that you know stopped thirty forty years ago you know right along the time of Smokey the Bear and and I think. I think that changed a lot of people's perspective. Unfortunately, it you know, people are still burning down in South Alabama more, but it's more so because they have pine plantations yep. and it's, mono, you know, they're trying to manage for monoculture pines. Yep. Um, so it's not as it's people are more open to it down there. It seems like uh, now I've seen, I've seen it increase an increase in burning in North Alabama. Um, it, and, but it's still like nowhere near what it used to be. Um, and I don't know if it'll ever be that, you know, that much land being burned again but they had a map uh talking about which states had been burning more and i know alabama was on the rise they'd you know been doing more prescribed burning uh but it's it's just a it's just that mindset people are afraid of it they don't understand it and 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 therefore there's now because people aren't burning there's more wildfire more wildfires and i've seen an example of that this past month we were doing a consult on a guy's property in blunt county and he's he has been doing prescribed burning well his neighbor's power line fell down during a windstorm and caught the side of the mountain on fire it stopped when it got to his property but it just went right up the mountain (laughs) side and i'm talking like it was the it was a head fire going up a mountain and so it was just like 20 25 foot just black skull marks up these uh up these chestnut oaks and uh and white oaks and it was crazy because those chestnut oaks were still they were leafing out and they had just been i mean i, I would have thought they'd been toasted um but it it was a scary style. it looked unlike any burn that i'd ever done or ever seen because prescribed burns aren't done that way they're
0: controlled it's a control yeah, they're
1: controlled you're doing it slowly and this is just a wildfire so it just like i mean it looked awful so now people drive through there and that's their opinion of right, yeah, fire yeah you know? exactly uh, oh i would never good fire on my property because it would look like that and that's not the case but unfortunately we're going to get a lot more of that I think in the next few years I mean that's and and that's our own fault we're causing these wildfires because we're just letting tons of fuel build build up and uh, then they get crazy like that and then there goes you know somebody's opinion on fire is bad again Um, but it just takes educating
0: yeah uh, I mean take a look at out west man it's like Out here, it's just like, oh, fire is this horrible thing. And it's like, it didn't have to be this bad. Well, and yeah, the fires that we're having out here now are bad because there was fire suppression for so long. And, you know, that's, again, one of those... Man, I wish I could remember that professor's name, the guy that would carry that axe, because he taught me a lot of stuff and opened, opened my mind to a lot of stuff. But I remember him talking about fire. And, I mean, changed my whole like understanding of plant life and you know especially out west but also yeah. in the east you know the eastern forests as well and i remember learning like you know how out west fire is so much you know so much a part of you know plants you know growing and how some like i believe it's the um the redwood trees that like straight up need fire to you know, grow again. Yeah. And it's well, just and, like,
1: did you see that research? I think, well, I saw Landon Legacy shared it this week. They, it it was talking about how, which we, I think everybody's known this, but just how oak trees need fire mm-hmm. to be able to regenerate. And so, you know, if it isn't, it's a fire tolerant species. It likes fire. And so mm-hmm. a lot of these fire tolerant species also need fire to help them be able to germinate and, and Reach maturity, and so we're going to start seeing a decline in oaks and our, you know, better hardwood trees because of that. But also, you know, that's what's being targeted a lot of times when when properties are logged. But um, if people want oaks, I mean, you're going to have to burn, and mm-hmm. and they're they're still they're still wildlife experts in the state of Alabama saying never burn your hardwoods, don't burn your hardwoods, and and that is couldn't be further from the truth. We need fire in our hardwoods. It's going to help those oaks regenerate. And, uh, and I don't know. It's a, that's a I think that's a good selling point for deer hunters. Yeah. So you know, oh, they, yeah. deer, they love their oaks. So um, if you love oaks, do some burning. So
0: yeah, and I I just think you know when you really look at an area that's been burnt and you watch the progression, okay, fresh burn to you know six months later even. To uh, you know, a year later to three years later. And to look at that transformation, it's never, I've never seen it look bad. You know, it's never, no. you know, at first, yeah, it's a little bit intimidating when you're like, oh man, this is, you know, there's, there's nothing under the trees. There's no understory left, but I'm talking within days, you oh, start yeah. to see that green growth. I talked to a guy, I was in West Virginia, um, I guess a week or so ago and he was an older guy and he said oh they let this fire get away from him and i was like eh. you know i didn't really say much i said really he said oh yeah this one got away from him and i'm like as far as i could see then you know in my head i'm thinking as far as i could see it ends right at the fire break everywhere it ends yeah. and i said he he's he said where have you been hunting i said well we've been up there up in that burn and he's like really and I was like, yeah, I was like, turkeys like it. And he's like, oh, they will in a few years. I was like, no. well, I mean, I'll keep it to myself for now, but <laughs> those turkeys are <laughs> loving it right now. <laughs> like, you know, we'd go, yeah. hit the, we'd go hit the stuff that wasn't burned. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that the turkeys that were living in the hardwoods, you know, that wasn't burnt had moved all up. To, because we weren't hardly hearing a turkey down in the stuff that wasn't burnt. They were all up in that stuff that was burnt. The deer were up there feeding. You know, they were currently there, and you could tell where there were sections of it that had been burnt in prior years. I was with my friend Ben, too, so he was able to say, like, hey, this this has been burnt, you know, also a few years prior. And that stuff that was burnt a few years prior was the only stuff that was, you know, thick. It was the only deer bedding area where you couldn't just look through the forest and see, you know, as far as the terrain would allow, yeah. And that stuff that was burned a few years prior it was high stem count. There's a lot more deer sign on the edges of it and stuff. And I just, I just thought that was really, um, cool to look at. But it's also really interesting how this guy kind of had maybe this more negative mentality of that burn than what we were seeing. And, you know, yeah. you know, what, are, I, I guess what curious, like what are some of the, um, animal responses that you see, the wildlife responses that you see to burns even in grasslands and, I, and stuff like yeah. that.
1: I see the same thing from turkeys and well, you know, doves and things like that are in there like immediately. Um, we were, bur- we were burning a, uh, a property the other day. It was 120 acres and there was a pond right in the middle of it. And the, ho- it was, the whole thing was on fire and two geese just like lit right in the pond <laughs> through the smoke. I'm like, what is going on? Like, they just had no fear of it whatsoever which is mind-blowing because I figured you know it at least startle them out of there while it was burning but um, it, it's really surprising how you know how beneficial immediately after a burn can be for wildlife and the in the coming you know months but uh, I also at the same time I'm leaving spots too for things to escape to especially in the grassland areas I don't want to take I don't want to burn the entire grassland area um, so I divvy it up and if you're a landowner that's what you want is you use those small easy burns so divvy it up to where you could burn one little block in the fall you know another block in the winter one block in the spring or whatever and then still have half of your property unburned so you can have nesting cover in the spring and i just like mix it up but um and and that's nice because like you know right before turkey season you can go just burn a little block there and and uh and it'll take you you know a couple hours you could burn that little block and, and benefit from it
0: so, there's there's your food plot <laughs> yeah yeah so
1: i mean, I, I mean I, i'm diverse with it just like anything else diversity is yes. usually the answer and so being diverse about when you burn and, and where you burn and what time of year you burn um, that's a i think that's going to be beneficial for a property and and mix things up on the same property like you said you it's not all going to be the same type of habitat. If you're burning at different times and different blocks, it's gonna. You can even do that on like on my five acres. I have like five acres where I live. I'm doing that on five acres. I just have different types of habitat spread across it. Yeah, because I'm burning at different times of the year. But
0: I think it's crazy when you look at like a small property and how much you could actually do with a small property. Like yeah. one of the things that I'm really interested in right now is, and, and because I'm so interested in all of this, I'd never, I never thought that I would want to buy property. Um, I never really was interested in it. And then within the last like year, I'm like, I need to buy land just so that I can go and do these things and be active just because yeah. I feel like, you know, on public land, I, I love hunting public land and really I don't have any interest even in hunting anything but public land. But if I could yeah. go there and just toy around, man, like that's, that's what's, so now I'm looking at, in I'm looking at anything from, you know, real small to, you know, whatever, you know, my, basically my limit, but it's like, even on 15 acres, the stuff you could do is crazy. Like my buddy Larry yeah. that I've been talking about that has the native landscapes of Ohio, he's got 80 acres and I... I haven't been able to like join in on any of the fun, although I want to. Like, they did a burn um, two weeks ago, I think, there. And um, I was, I had to edit video, so I wasn't able to go help with them. But they um, have been managing that place, like timber stand improvement burns you know, all kinds of just, all kinds of different things on this 80 acres. And because they break it up, they're able to always be working on some sort of project every, every season out there. And it's, dude, it is stupid what they've created out there. Like as far as like deer, turkeys, rabbits, you know, they're, they're seeing all kinds of great response from the wildlife. And like, it used to be a place where, you know, they'd have a trail camera out and they would get you know, a big buck on it. Well, now there's like five living there on it, you know, throughout the season. Uh They're just living in there like crazy. They're shooting bucks off of it, and another one just comes right in. Turkeys, same thing. There's turkeys, there's hens nesting there. There's poults, you know, living there. There's multiple toms living there throughout the season, and it's just, it's 80 acres. It's like 79 acres, Yeah, and it's crazy, man. I just, that stuff gets me fired up. It gets me excited about you know doing that myself too
1: yeah my, my five acres i have three of it that i like manage for wildlife and well i guess you could say my front yard and backyard too but the three of it that i like hunt and uh i used to have it all on food plots and different stuff just messing around and uh i'd get large doe groups and then i'd get you know a couple bucks coming through at night well I started burning it and converting it to grasslands and you know, I'm keeping a log of like what native plants have shown up on their own and, and just burning different blocks every year. I've broken it up. There's like, I mow the perimeter of it. So I like, I have a green fire break around the entire edge and then I have like little trails cut through so I can still like walk my property and enjoy it. But it's also good for deer. So the, this is the place I grew up. So I was doing that even when I wasn't living here, but we, we bought my, my parents' place, um, in t- fall of 2020 and immediately when i got here i put a t- trail camera up there on like my grassland area and uh the first first week i checked it there was a buck there every day just the middle of the day 10 12 o'clock every day and and it's because it went from a place that he was like coming he was visiting it at night to a place where he was living it was like habitat he had everything he needed right there food food water bedding cover whatever i mean he had it all and so the first time I sat down there, I killed him. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's literally, it's so easy, like, because all my neighbors have food plots and feeders and yep. no cover. Everything's bush hogged. And this is where the cover was. So that's where he's living. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, I don't know, it, it, it makes so much more sense. And I never killed a good deer there when it was food plots. Yep. Um, and so, and this one was for Alabama. It was he? He didn't have a big rack, but he was like, 220 230 i think he Jeez. was very he, he was the body on this thing was huge so on camera he looked like teeny tiny but and you know his rack did but um he he wasn't too bad he was he probably scored 100 inches but he was he was uh he had a broken leg so he's like just jacked up but mm-hmm.
0: man i'm prouder of that deer than i am like
1: just about anyone i've killed because i think that's awesome it's the results of a bunch of work i put in on my place so yeah Uh, yeah. so uh i uh a couple years ago we were uh turkey hunting some public land in uh in alabama and uh we with with a but i was hunting with a buddy of mine caleb stewart and uh we were driving around this wma and uh just stop and listen for turkeys and uh we found a necklace with uh turkey spurs on it i know this i know this story and so I was, we were sitting there, and where I was like, I was like, that looks familiar. Like, I feel like I've seen that before. You know, and was like, yeah, that does. And so he messaged you guys, and and I guess it was one of y'all's. And so he <laughs> knelt, he mailed it back to you.
0: I think it was mine.
1: Was it? That's I, what, think I thought so. it was. I thought it was yours. I thought it, I thought it was yours. So, yeah,
0: and my and but, my grandpa actually like made that for me. So I was real really? stoked when yeah, like it was one of those deals where it's like, so I lost it was just this hanging. Thing.
1: There was like a maybe a six foot tall tree and it was just hanging on one of the limbs, like somebody had just like you know, was changing a shirt or something and hung it there. Band, yeah, Yeah, and so that's where it was at. And uh we just literally just got out to listen and, and uh saw that hanging there. Is that the
0: and, story that you that you said yeah, in that yeah, message? That's the story yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I, I'm like I, I I think about that often, like how crazy it is that somebody found that because another time so Jake has one too. What Was it the one that had a bear claw on it, or was it just the turkey spurs? I
1: think it was just the turkey spurs. Then that would have
0: been mine. So then Jake, same thing happened with Jake. Jake had one with a bear claw on it. I don't even know. Okay. Somebody's buddy or something, or one of his buddies or something had this thing, but it had a bear claw on it and had spurs on either side of it. And he did the same thing, lost it. Somebody found it and sent it to him. It's just crazy. So. Makes it makes yeah. you feel real good and and lucky that somebody didn't just take it. So yeah. I appreciate yeah. small, you. <laughs>
1: small small world, man. It's a real small world. But uh, yeah, that was, that was. I should have I should have kept it and put it on eBay. You know. <laughs> That's what we should have done. But he, he Caleb. Uh, I I talked to him after you uh, after you messaged me this morning and, and uh he was like, yeah, tell him he still owes me shipping for that. Uh, <laughs> For, for, he said, "He said I just mailed it to him, and he, I think he just said it, put it in an envelope and mailed it. But he, he was he was joking. But yeah, that was a that was just man small world, and uh, just to literally, I mean, you got thousands of acres out there just to pull up in one spot and, and see wood. it there hanging, and uh, and and it and it have been us. You know, it could have been anybody who who had no idea who it belonged to. Right. And, yeah. and we were just we were just guessing too. Maybe maybe it is. Maybe it is. Um." Yeah, that was, that was weird, so that's, that's hilarious. Crazy, crazy small
0: world. Yeah, no kidding. That's cool. Well, t- for anybody listening, tell everybody where they can, like, follow along. You've obviously got a lot of cool educational stuff going up, so tell people where they can find that and kind of follow along with what you're doing.
1: Yeah, uh, so you can find us on uh, uh, Instagram and Facebook and YouTube, Native Habitat Project. On uh, TikTok, it's Native Plant Talk. And then we got a website too, uh, nativehabitatproject.com, and a podcast as well, Native Habitat Podcast that we just started. So um, we'll be talking a bunch about native plants and native ecosystems. So
0: awesome! I'll put a link um, in the description too. So if you're listening to this and you want to find it, just look at the description and you can click on that, and it'll take you to where you need to go. Yeah. cool man well hey i won't take up any more of your time i appreciate you coming on and talking and i'm sure i'm sure we'll be in contact in the future but thanks again for coming man i enjoyed it yeah Yeah. i really i really appreciate what you're doing i think that the stuff that you're talking about is just awesome and i really think that um you know it is the the best thing i guess for hunters in the future and i think that's really cool so i appreciate you
1: Yeah, appreciate
0: it, man, and same to y'all, too, so uh, thanks for having me on.
1: For sure.